So today for our sermon, we're going to be taking a look at something that I think in any time, in any season, is, is important to talk about. But I'd say especially as of late, it is very significant for us, for the church, to be talking about. And it's the matter of wisdom. Certainly we see scripture talking an awful lot about wisdom all over the place. Maybe our minds in particular jump to Proverbs and all of the wonderful wisdom that's found there. Uh, but it's something that, as I mentioned, I think in particular now in just sort of our current situation, thinking of our world, our, our country, uh, all that has sort of gone on lately, whether it's it's just been an unusual year, uh, not a typical year, 2020, with the pandemic. And now we think of all of sort of the racial division and tensions. Uh, and it's a time that calls for great wisdom, great wisdom for the, the world but how much more so for Christ's church as well, to be filled with wisdom and sort of being a beacon of wisdom to the world. And I'd say, if I'm really going to be honest about the matter, I would say that our world utterly lacks wisdom. If we're really going to be honest about it, our world in particular, I'm really thinking of our country, America, and I'd say sort of the decline in wisdom has, has been progressive. It has been ongoing. It's not like this is entirely new, but I would say it, it's particularly great and has been particularly on display in our country as of late. And tragically, I'd say that this isn't just true of the world around the church, our country around the church, but I would say it is all too often true in the case within the church as well, that the church has waned in wisdom over the years and drastically, greatly, very much so needs wisdom for the times that we're in now, but also for undoubtedly the times that lay before the church as the church is ever increasingly, and we'll talk about this more, but ever increasingly marginalized, pushed to the fringes. We're sort of viewed ever increasingly as the years go by as those weird Christian people who believe all sorts of crazy things and so forth, and we're sort of viewed that way. And all the more so as we're sort of pushed to the fringes, as our, our, as our freedoms of, of worship are infringed upon ever increasingly, all the more so the times are going to be calling for the church to operate in wisdom. And if I'm honest about the matter, I think on the whole New Hope Chapel, if we're talking about this specific church, I think there's, there's quite a degree of wisdom here at New Hope Chapel. But if I sort of look at the whole of the American church, I think we greatly lack wisdom. And we are not ready for either the times we're in or the times that are coming for the church. Uh, and that is tragic. And so that's why I want to talk about this matter of wisdom and what Scripture says about wisdom. And we're going to look at a number of verses here from Scripture. Uh, but before we do so, I want to talk a little bit more about our current situation and sort of highlight the lack of wisdom in the world and in the church. Because you might be saying, you know, maybe some of you are saying, okay, Pastor Steve, you know, I agree with you. I think there's sort of a great lack of wisdom, this great foolishness in the world and maybe even in the church. But maybe some are sort of thinking, no, no, you know, I mean, yeah, we can all grow in wisdom. But I don't think that we're so unwise in our day and age today. Uh, so I sort of want to highlight certain examples of, of what's gone on lately in our, in our country uh, and sort of highlight certain examples of a lack of wisdom and how they really highlight this great degree of lack of wisdom and foolishness uh, in our country. And again, as I said, all too often creeping into the church as well. So I know I'm just going to mention certain examples, right? But, but it sort of characterizes our country. And again, as I said, even the church as well. 
And the first thing that I want to speak to as we look at the, the lack of wisdom in our world and even in the church is sort of what I would call the, the social media wars. I, I don't know if I'm coming up with that term or if someone else has, but that's at least what it feels like to me. Uh, I'm not one to, you know, I'll sort of follow stuff on social media a bit. I'm not one to go posting all of my views and insist on things. Uh, but still, I'm out there and I, I get to see. I get to see for all the people, friends and so forth, who are posting and sort of all their perspectives and so forth and so on. Uh, and what is quite obvious is that there is this war going on between people from different sides, whether you look at sort of the coronavirus and the pandemic and, and the lockdown and all of those things, and you have people on different sides, some saying, and I understand that, you know, the argument on both sides, some saying this is so severe, we need to continue the lockdown and shut things down, and others saying, yeah, I understand the concern, but but our economy is tanking, and, and what about people who have small businesses, they are, or they just need to be back to work to provide their, for their families, their livelihoods at stake, and, and instead of operating in a wise way, which would say, hey, you know, let, let's come to the table. Let's sort of, in a healthy and productive way, way, let's sort of talk about things. We can, in a healthy and respectful manner, put forth our views, and, and maybe we can find some common ground and so forth. That, that would be a natural, wise approach. And, and hey, let's look at sort of the facts and the science and so forth. And so that, that's not the way people seem to want to operate. There are some who operate in, in that manner, so I don't want to criticize those people. There are people who, who in fact, do operate that way. But what seems to dominate the social media landscape, whether this is Facebook, Twitter, you name it, is people who are sort of yelling and shouting at the top of, of their lungs. I know that it's in text form, right? It's not like you literally hear them. They're typing away usually. But you can sort of pick up on, on in a sense, the tone that's there in what they're saying. And it's sort of like they're shouting at the other side, yelling their viewpoint, in a sense saying, you people on the other side, you're stupid, you're idiots, you don't understand, and then they put forth their perspective. And then the other side responds very much in like kind, yelling, screaming. And I think, where is the wisdom of this? Even if you think that your perspective is right, do you, know, do you think that you're going to win people over by yelling at them on social media? Is this you know, thinking from a wise perspective, is this even the platform for these de debates? Or maybe they can be taking place in a healthier forum and format where there can be face-to-face -face interaction and, and sort of putting forth different ideas. So for starters, is this even the forum for it? But even if it is, do you think you're going to win anyone over by yelling at them and calling them names, right? In reality, even a shred of wisdom says you're not going to win people over that way, right? No. A wise approach says, you know, I want to be respectful and I'll respect the person that I'm talking to and I'll hear out their, you know, hear their viewpoint and their side of the argument. And then they can listen to me, and I'm going to approach this in sort of a wise and loving fashion, not sort of berating the other person or treating them like they're a fool or an idiot, right? And they just don't understand anything. They're just so dumb. No, but, but to treat them in a loving way and respectfully and just sort of kindly put forth your perspective and why you think that's the case. So you see that with, with the coronavirus. I saw that time and again and again. You might think, well, are those people who, they're not Christians, right? So they're behaving in that sort of fashion. And yes, at times that's the case. But at plenty of other times, there are people who I, I know well enough and I know that they're Christians. I've even seen pastors operating in that way and communicating in that sort of unwise way 
way and fashion. And it's not like those who, yeah, I know they identify as Christian, but do they really know the gospel? Do they really have a repentant heart? Are they, do they really belong to Christ? No, people I really know, I know them personally, I know their heart, and I'd say, yeah, I don't really doubt that that person really belongs to the Lord. And yet there's no wisdom in the way that they're operating. They're just sort of getting caught up in these social media wars, operating and behaving in this unwise fashion. And again, you see it, as I mentioned, with the coronavirus, you see it the same way with sort of the racial tension and division uh, that's going on in our country. And again, it's sort of the same pattern of instead of, hey, you know, I, I think most of us all agree, 99.99% of us here agree, right, that racism's bad, right? In our, in our country, we agree it's bad, it's wrong, we oppose it. Right, so let's sort of understand that common ground and let's come to the table and let's talk about things. Maybe we have some different views on some of the specifics. How do we handle the police or how do we handle statues that might be of founding fathers, right, who may have owned slaves or what do we do with Confederate statues? For, you know, what do we do about these things? Let's have healthy debate rather than yelling and shouting at one another uh, on social media and calling one another names even if they may not be accurate. But, but again, Again, what we see is, is that there is the yelling, the shouting, there's no wise approach to sort of putting forth one's views and opinions, and instead there's disrespect shown toward the other side and just a complete and other, utter lack of, of wisdom. I'd say, and certainly you see this also in, in, in sort of social media, but another thing, another area in which we see a total lack of wisdom is I would say we live in a world and in a country, and again this is even true in the church, where people believe whatever they're told. Right? Someone posts something on social media, and I've seen this on both sides of the debate, where someone just made up some story, and then it just sort of goes through, it goes viral, and everyone's citing this as supportive of their argument, and yet it's utterly untrue. It's not factual, it's not accurate, it's not true, but people don't bother to say, hey, I need to have a filter. Right? And not everything that anyone claims is true. Or not anything, not everything that I see on the media when I turn on the television to recognize people have an agenda. People will twist facts to fit their agenda and their purposes. Right? And so I can't just go blindly believing whatever I hear on the radio, whatever I see on social media, or whatever when I turn on the TV and I'm watching the news to just blindly believe them and, and not to recognize that they might have their own agenda and they could be twisting things. And again, I think that the world around the church operates this way, just blindly believing whatever they're told, especially, especially if it kind of fits uh, sort of one's natural tendencies and what one wants to believe. If it sort of supports what you want to believe, then you don't even run it through your filter and you're just going to assume it's true. And often outside of the church, people operate that way. But again, just even following uh, so many Christians that I know, the church has been operating in that same fashion as well. Uh, just sort of blindly believing whatever is out there uh, without questioning it, without bothering to say, why don't I go get the facts for myself before I make some sort of decision, right? Someone who's wise is going to say, I'm not just going to believe it because you say it. People lie. People, people tell untruths. I'm going to run it through my filter. I'm going to do some fact checking. This is the wise approach. But again, we lack wisdom and we just all too often believe whatever people tell us. I want to use one specific case. Some might claim that it's getting a little bit political. I don't think that it is. I think this is sort of a matter of just basic common sense. But I want to use the example that has gone on lately of this whole abolish the police, defund the police 
And I know defunding the police can mean sort of different things for different people. Some people might view it as partially defunding, but not entirely. Uh, I want to particularly look at it from the perspective of entirely abolishing. Let's defund the police, get rid of them. This is sort of this, this new agenda that's being put forth, right? And again, this, I'm using this to illustrate the complete lack of wisdom in our world, in our country, but even within the church. I would say if we're going to approach this from a wise perspective, so there are people who are here saying, let's abolish the police. They're clearly this great threat to the world. They're this great threat to, to black communities uh, You know that, that, that they need to be utterly done away with, and somehow that will benefit our country, that will benefit black communities. That's certainly particularly where it's coming uh, out of. Uh, what's going to be the wise approach? This is not how many operate, but what would be the wise approach here? The wise approach would be to say, first of all, I think just looking at it from the surface, someone with a shred of wisdom would think abolishing the police, what's that going to do? That, that's going to lead to anarchy. There's no enforcement of laws. We live in a world with broken, sinful people who do bad things, and now if you, you have no law enforcement, they're just going to run wild, right? Just from a, a, a basic common sense, just even having a shred of wisdom, at the outset, one should say, that sounds like an awfully bad idea. And yet, loads of people are appropriating this idea and saying, yeah, let's push it. This is this great agenda. Let's push for the abolishment of the police. But I'd say, if you're really wise, you'll go further than just your initial gut reaction and say, well, hey, if I'm going to be wise about things, why don't I get the facts? If a big part of this is, well, police brutality and so police presence has a negative impact, particularly on black communities and black lives, mat uh, black lives and, and sort of fitting in with the whole black lives uh, matter uh, agenda. And again, let's be clear, black lives do matter. I, I don't think that that's something, if we think of sort of that conception, that idea of the group itself, uh, the core group behind Black Lives Matter, the organization, that, that's a different matter. But the idea of and the slogan of Black Lives Matter, I, I don't think people disagree with that. I think, again, 99.999% of our country would say, absolutely, of course, of course black lives matter. As do Asian lives, as do white lives, pick any color, pick any race, those lives matter. And so if part of the basis of this abolishing the police is, well, black lives matter and the police are a threat to black lives, well, well, again, if we're going to say, well, we do care about black lives, they do matter, then let's look at statistics, right? If we're going to be wise about this, a, a natural approach would be to say, let's use our wisdom, be wise about it, and say, what is the effect of police presence in these black communities? What is the result? Is this beneficial to the lives of those who are there, or is it detrimental? Again, we're just going to be wise about things and say, if people are talking about this, let's get the facts. And the reality is the facts are out there. They're, they're there for anyone to find if they actually want to bother to go and look. And here are the facts. Again, coming at this from the perspective of the importance of black lives. Black lives do matter, and we should care about those lives. The reality is one of the biggest takers of black lives, certainly first and foremost, it's abortion clinics. So if we're really going to talk about black lives for starters, let's talk about abortion and getting rid of that because a third of black pregnancies end in abortion. But, but to set that aside, thinking more of the police issue, one of the big takers of black lives is, is inner-city gang warfare, black-on-black -black homicides and crimes. And, and so as we think of Black Lives Matter and, and wanting to make that a priority and saying they do matter, this is important, then let's be wise when we think about this idea of abolishing the police and take a look at its impact. And what we realize is when there is a high presence of police in these communities, the crime rate drastically drops, the homicide rate drastically drops, and black lives are spared. Black lives that otherwise would have been taken are saved. 
in here, we're not just talking about those who would have themselves been involved in violent crimes, but even as you see, and you see this on the news at times, that when this gang warfare breaks out, there are violent crimes, it's not just those people who wind up shooting one another, but then you have three-year-old children or moms who are utterly in, uninvolved in this, right, catching stray bullets that aren't intended for them, but as people are shooting back and forth at one another, you have collateral damage. You have those who are sort of caught up in the crossfire, literally, and wind up dead. And so when the police are present in a great way in the community, that sort of crime drops and black lives are saved. Whereas on the flip side, again, this is statistical. Some people may not like the facts that I'm putting out there, but these are facts. You know, this is just how it is. It's not my agenda. When the police withdraw from those areas and there's less of a presence, the crime rate, rate goes through the roof, it skyrockets, and homicides go up drastically, and many, many black lives are lost as a result. So again... We need to think wisely about things. I'm not singling out this specific matter of abolishing the police. I'm using it as, as an example. But in our world, there are so many people who sort of, they've bought into this idea, right? They have no sort of filter, no, no sort of wisdom that they bring to the table. They hear someone saying, uh, police are a threat to black lives. Uh, and I'm not saying that there can't be individual instances of abuse and brutality. That can happen. We've seen that as of late. It is certainly George Floyd. We think of that as a singular instance, and that certainly is the case. And it doesn't mean that policing can't be done in a better fashion for any profession. There's always room for improvement, and, and policing is certainly uh, no different than other, prof and other professions in that case. There's, there's certainly room for improvement. But many people have heard this idea of abolishing the police, bought into this narrative of police are somehow detrimental to black lives and because there's no wisdom there. And this isn't just outside the church. I know loads of people inside the church. I don't know about New Hope Chapel, but, but other churches, the Christian church generally, who have bought into this and say, we need to abolish the police. There's not a bit of wisdom applied to this situation that says, first of all, my gut feeling is that sounds like anarchy and a bad idea. But if we're concerned about black communities and the impact of police on those communities, if I'm just going to have even a shred of wisdom, wisdom says, find out the facts. What is the reality? What is the impact of policing on these communities? And the, the statistics are clear. A police presence is greatly helpful in these communities and in all communities and prevents crime and, and prevents the loss of life. And so clearly, right, the, the whole idea of abolishing the police and that's somehow going to be beneficial to lives, black lives in particular, it, it's ridiculous. It's just non-factual. It's just untrue. A police presence is hugely needed to prevent the loss of black lives and, and in and other lives as well, in other communities where murder would run rampant uh, without any police presence. If anything, you can make the case that looking at the stats makes a case for an increase in police presence so as to stop further crime and, and, and prevent the loss of life. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to single out this one matter, but I think it's one that's sort of so basic, such common sense, just to illustrate the lack of wisdom in our world, and not just out in the world out there, but even within the church, that's something that I think generation after generation through pretty much all of human history, this is how common sense it is that anyone would have said, of course you need to have law enforcement. You can't have anarchy, right? Mankind, if we're left to our own devices, we're going to do terrible things. And so you need basic law and order. Uh, and that's just the reality. That, that It's almost like people almost wouldn't call that wisdom because it's such common sense throughout most of history. And yet we've reached such a low in regard to wisdom. It is so uh, absent in our world, in our community, in, in our country, in, 
and again, not just out in the greater community around us, but even within the church, that people are now saying, ooh, we love this idea. Let's get rid of the police. We don't want to wisely think about the facts. We don't wisely want to approach this uh, from any sort of wise perspective and say, well, what will the impact be? Right? No, there's just this blind buying into some sort of agenda, and I feel like the church as well is guilty of this. Uh, and again, I'm just highlighting that as a singular point, uh, this abolishing the police that I think makes clear, illustrates this point uh, of sort of a lack of wisdom. But I see it in all sorts of issues. Anytime some sort of issue comes up in our culture, this is the way our, our country seems to operate, and, and even the church. It's never asking the questions, running it through a filter, and saying, let me be wise about things. Let me not jump to a hasty conclusion. Let me be wise in regard to this matter. Instead, this sort of blind buy-in to some sort of agenda without even thinking twice about it. And again, it, it works its way into the church as well. And as I think about our situation now, and again, as I'm going to talk about a little bit more further into the sermon, the days that, that are coming for the church, as, as the church, we talked about sort of persecution, day of the Christian martyr, right? Those things are ever increasingly coming to our shores, coming to our country. It is not that far off in, in my estimate before persecution begins to really grow significantly in our country. As I think of the times, not just that we're in, but that lay before us as a church, we need wisdom, great wisdom. We are, if we want to handle ourselves well, if we want to carry our, navigate those waters, right, the waters that we're in or the waters that are to come for the church, we need great wisdom. And I don't see the church, the American church today, as wise and ready to navigate those waters well. And so now I want to sort of having set the stage and I think sort of illustrating the lack of wisdom in our world and even in the church today, I now want to talk about, well, if we need wisdom, if there's a lack of wisdom in our world, in the church, and we need wisdom and desperately so, well, then how do we get it, right? And I want to turn to Scripture, and Scripture really speaks to this matter. And I want to look first at Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6. Here's what it says. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Right? If we want wisdom, if we recognize this, there's a lack of wisdom in the church, maybe even, hey, for me, even the wisest of us can still grow in wisdom. We still have a lack of wisdom in certain ways, in certain areas. If we recognize our lack of wisdom, whether it's small, whether it's great, and say, hey, I need wisdom, where are we going to get it? It's from the Lord. That's what Proverbs 2, 6 here says clearly. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So we're going to get it from the Lord, but you might ask naturally, okay, so we need wisdom, we get it from the Lord, well, well how? How, do, how? How does the Lord give us wisdom? How do we get it from the Lord? Well, James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8 answers this question. Here's what it says. James writing here says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Right? To put it simply, how do we get wisdom? If we lack wisdom and we want wisdom, what do we do? We just go to the Lord. Just go to God in prayer and ask him for it. It's that simple. It's that easy. It's that straightforward. We just go to God and say, God, I lack wisdom. Please give me wisdom. But, but, right, there's a little qualification here. It says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. 
For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Right? If you want to receive wisdom, just go and ask God for it, and he'll give it to you. But you must ask truly believing that he will give it to you. Not doubting, not, not coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, please give me wisdom. But then in your heart, you're sort of thinking, he's probably not going to. Probably that's not going to happen. I mean, it'd be great if he did, but probably that's not going to take place, and I'll just still be, you know, unwise me, unwise Steve. Uh, if we ask in that way, don't expect to receive anything, is, is what Scripture says here. You're not going to get anything. But if you ask the Lord for wisdom in faith, truly believing, then it will be given to you, right? If, if we lack wisdom, we recognize that we need wisdom, then what are we to do? Go to the Lord who gives wisdom and just ask him for it. And if you ask him for it in faith, You'll get it. It's that simple. It's that straightforward. And as we're going to see, really, that, that's our application, right? Where I'm not yet at application. I'll save that for a little later. But ultimately, that's going to be our challenge, right? As we recognize we, we lack wisdom. Even the wisest of us needs to grow in wisdom. There are still areas in which we fail to have wisdom and we act in foolish ways uh, in folly at times. Even the wisest of us still lacks wisdom. And so for each and every one of us, we need to grow in wisdom. We need to see that growth in that regard. And so what are we to do? Just to come before God, ask him for it, and believe he's really going to give it to you. And if you do that, he will. It's that simple and easy. But I want to read a couple other verses here that speak to wisdom. And I want to start with Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Here's what it says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And here, knowledge is used in the sense of as a synonym for wisdom. It's sort of like true knowledge. This isn't sort of like factual head knowledge about certain things. That's not the sense in which it's being used. It's being used really as synonymous with wisdom, sort of true deep knowledge. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. In fact, we see this stated again. Proverbs 9.10 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And I want to nuance here this fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In chapter 9, verse 10, uh, the translation beginning of wisdom is good. That, the word there used for beginning only means beginning. But in Pro Proverbs 1, 7, the word used there for beginning, uh, it's rooted in the Hebrew word for head. So it's sort of speaking here of that which is at the head, and it can mean at the head in regard to time, so sort of first, you know, the beginning. And I'd say here it does in part carry that meaning, but it can also have the sense of sort of being at the head in the sense of chief, right, most important, most significant. It can be first in time, but also sort of first in importance in a sense. That The word can carry double meaning there, and I'd say that that's the sense in which it's used. That here in Proverbs 1-7, it's saying in part the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom, but I'd say it's also saying that the fear of the Lord is sort of the chief part of wisdom and knowledge, right? Sort of the most significant and chief bit of wisdom that man can have is the fear of the Lord. It is the beginning place, but it's also chief in, in regard to wisdom. It's sort of that chief bit of wisdom as well. So it's sort of the most important, most significant bit of wisdom, but it's also the starting place of wisdom as well. And so as we're sort of thinking about wisdom, we're talking about wisdom, how, how our world lacks wisdom, but all too often that, that sort of creeps into the church as well, and there's a lack of wisdom in the church. Uh, we want to take a look at... well. More specifically, what this wisdom is. What's the starting place of it? What's sort of the chief bit of wisdom? And we're told the starting place and the most significant and chief bit of wisdom is what? It's, it's the fear of the Lord. You know, it's reverence for God. 
right? And, and, and with it being sort of the beginning of wisdom, the starting place of wisdom, if you don't have that, if you don't have a reverence for God, then you can think you're wise, but you don't have even a shred of wisdom. That's the reality. You can have every bit of wisdom as the world views wisdom, but if you don't have reverence for God, you don't have any true wisdom. That is the starting place for true wisdom. And anyone who does not have that, anyone who does not have reverence for God is not wise, but a fool, even if he has every bit of wisdom as the world reckons wisdom. But in regard to true wisdom, he has none. And so when we're talking about wisdom, the starting place is fear and reverence for God, right? But it's also the chief, the chief bit of wisdom, the most significant, most important bit of wisdom. Uh, and that's the reality. And as we think of reverence for God as this most significant bit of wisdom, as the starting place for wisdom, I would say that reverence for God is something that is probably not the American church's strong suit. Right? I think it, it sort of naturally flows out of the American culture. We sort of like equality in every way. And, and there's great value to that, right? You know, thinking of mankind, we're all made in the image of God, and so there's a certain equality and, and dignity as God's human creation. But we have sort of overemphasized this idea of equality that, that we now have no respect even for people who might have specific honored positions of authority over us, right? Even think of the position of president or maybe senator or governor or so forth, because we've so emphasized this idea of equality that's like, hey, we're all the same. We even struggle to show respect to those who are in positions of authority above us. I mean, just turn on the TV and look at people mocking our president or governors or senators or anybody in some sort of position of power and authority. We can certainly disagree with people, and we rightfully should if we have a difference of opinion, but it should still be done respectfully. There should be a certain respect and honor shown toward those in positions above us. But because we want a level playing field, we sort of disregard any sort of unevenness of position of authority. That's just sort of our, our part of our culture where we have sort of overemphasized, gone to some extreme in regard to this sense of equality. Yes, equality, that's good. We're all made in God's image. That's a wonderful thing, right, to understand that. But, but then to go so far as to no longer recognize any sort of positions of, of, of authority and honor that deserve respect, right, that's going too far. And I think we sort of appropriate, appropriate in the church all too often that lack of respect for people who are either our elders or, or positions of authority and so forth. We bring that into our faith and how we respond to God. Right? For those of us who are Christians, I'm not saying that we don't have reverence for God. If we're truly followers of the Lord, we do have reverence for God. But I would say we need to be all the more gripped by it. That because of sort of the culture uh, that we have just sort of been raised in and grown up in, uh, it just doesn't come as naturally to us to understand sort of the unevenness of our relationship to God. That we are just his creation and nothing more than that. Certainly a privileged and honored part of his creation. But we're creatures. That's the reality. And God is who? God is the almighty, infinite God, infinite in every good and glorious way. He is God most high overall, eternal God, God almighty. That's who he is. And as we think about who he is and who we are, we are nothing compared to him. And our response should just be this response of complete and utter reverence, respect, honoring him, where we are just sort of on our knees, falling down on our faces before God most high, recognizing he is everything and I am nothing. And just to be gripped with this wondrous sense of reverence. We sort of, as Christians, we understand it in our heads, right? And we understand it to a degree in our hearts. But I would submit that because of our culture, the culture in which we have sort of grown up and been raised and, and all too often appropriate, uh, we sort of struggle and it doesn't come quite as naturally to fully 
be gripped by who God is, the awesome nature of God, that as we just even think of him, as we come before him in his presence, that there's just a sense of incredible awe toward God, unworthiness, just even to come before him, just to be in awe of him and just to fall on our knees in reverence. That should be sort of our natural response. And I'd say we sort of intellectually get it, but it has only partially sunken into our hearts. Uh, And so I would say as we talk about we're talking about wisdom here. If we're told, well, the chief bit of wisdom and the starting place of wisdom is really being gripped with reverence for God. It's really being gripped by, by who he is and who we are, that he's everything. We're nothing compared to him. If this is the starting bit of wisdom and the chief bit of wisdom, then, then we need to get it and not just get it a little bit, but get it in full and t- truly, totally be gripped by it so that as we just even ponder God, as we just think about him, as we come before him in worship, that, that we just have this sense of complete and ultimate awe before him and reverence before him as we fall down in worship of him, our great and awesome God, most high. And so right, I kind of want to come back big picture and sort of kind of look at where we've come, sort of the, the, the whole sermon, sort of this progression, how we've talked about things here. Uh, I'd say the starting place is, is understanding sort of the state of things. And, and I think it is accurate and fair to say that our world greatly lacks wisdom. I just think that that's so clear. It seems quite clear to me. You're certainly free to disagree with my assessment, but, but I think our world greatly lacks wisdom. And in fact, sadly, that's tragic in and of its own right. But even more tragic is the reality that all too often Christ's church lacks wisdom. And that ought not to be. As as Christ's church, as God's church, as his people, we should be characterized by wisdom. We should be a beacon of wisdom for the world around us. We should be leading the way in wisdom. And all too often we seem to be just as foolish as the people around us. Right? And so recognizing sort of the lay of the land, right? sort of recognizing the state of things now, recognizing this lack of wisdom, right? and, and even understanding, hey, even if you're sort of the exception, you might be thinking, I totally agree with you, Pastor Steve, but I'm not one of those unwise people. I have quite a degree of, of, of wisdom, and you might be right and praise the Lord for that, but even still, there's a need to grow in wisdom. None of us is perfect in wisdom, and we need that growth. And so to recognize the great lack of wisdom in our world and in the church, but even if you're sort of the exception, still recognizing that there is still a lack in regard to wisdom in your life, to to understand then, hey, we need wisdom. If we're lacking it, then we need to get it. And who are we going to get it from? It's the Lord. Understanding this lack of wisdom that we have, and this is now our application, just to come before God and ask him for it. It's that easy. It's that simple. All we have to do is come before our great and awesome God and say, Lord, I am unwise. I lack wisdom in all sorts of ways. And Lord, please give me wisdom. Impart to me wisdom that I so desperately need. And to come before God, ask him for that, and really do it in faith, really believing he's going to deliver and give you that wisdom that you're asking for. And if you do that, he'll give it. It's that simple. It's that straightforward. He is faithful to his promise, and he will give us wisdom. And so I just want to challenge us to really faithfully live this out. And as I said, for our time that we are in right now, our, our, our country is in upheaval in a great way. And, and the time calls for wisdom. And the church ought to be leading the charge in regard to wisdom in our time, in our day and age. And sort of recognizing the times that we're in now to, to come before God and say, give me wisdom. 
Lord, give your church wisdom. Fill your church with great, great wisdom that we, we might lead the way in the midst of this time. But also recognizing that things aren't getting better. That isn't the, the progression of things in our country. Things are only getting worse. Christians are being pushed to the side, marginalized. We're sort of viewed as those crazy fringe people who actually believe that stuff of the Bible, right? Can you imagine? Of course, we do, right? But that's how the world portrays us. That's how the media portrays us, right? And it's only getting worse. It's only increasing. You know, at this stage of the game, maybe the type of persecution you, you receive is, well, people make fun of you. They sort of mock you whether it's sort of on the news toward Christians as a whole, or maybe it's even personally, you specifically have been mocked for being a Christian. But even still, it's ever increasing. Now you, you have people who, well, they're bakers, and they don't want to bake a cake for a gay wedding. Or you're a photographer, and you don't want to do a gay wedding. And, and now, you know, what's happening is, well, now you're being sued, and you're being sued for damages in hundreds of thousands. You're losing your business. You're losing your livelihood. And this is only increasing. Right? This type of persecution, it's growing, it's growing. I can see a day where, it, not that far off, where just for saying, hey, homosexuality is wrong and a sin, or transgenderism is wrong and it's a sin, would be considered a hate crime, and you'll wind up being arrested and put in prison for it. That's not that, I mean, it is ridiculous in and of itself, but the idea that that's coming soon is not ridiculous. That is the way that things are heading in our world now. And to recognize the tough times that lay before the church, as we even today have talked about the persecuted church and martyrdom and so forth, right? Things are changing in our country uh, for the church specifically. And to recognize the tough times that are going to be before us as Christians and to realize there is a need, a desperate need for wisdom to navigate those waters and do them well in such a way that honors and glorifies God. And so as we think about wisdom, as we live out this application of just coming before God and asking him for wisdom and doing it in faith, that's our challenge. That's our application. Just ask God for wisdom. Understanding your lack of wisdom, ask him for it, believing he'll really deliver. But as we think about the context of our asking and sort of the motive behind our asking, I want us to, to ask from the motive of not, I want to be oh so all wise just to puff myself up with, hey, I'm the wisest person in the world. That shouldn't be our motive for going before God and asking for wisdom. But, but recognizing that, that we lack wisdom, and in that lack of wisdom, there is going to be a struggle to honor God and live for him in daily life. And so as we come before God, we should be asking him for wisdom and doing so in faith, but doing so from the perspective of, Lord, give me wisdom in order that I might live each and every day, each and every moment, all the more faithfully for you and in honor of you and for you, for your glory, to recognize there is a need for wisdom to go and live the Christian life that we are called to, especially in the context of troubling times and the more troubling times that are coming for the church. And so as we ask for wisdom, I want us to ask for wisdom, not in a selfish way, not so I can just think I'm so wise and I'm so great, but to recognize I need wisdom so that I can serve you, Lord. I need wisdom so that I can serve you each and every day and honor you each and every day and glorify you each and every day in the every day and every moment that I can live it wisely and faithfully in service to you. And so with that motive and understanding the tough times we're in and the tough times that lay before the church, I want to challenge us to come before God and ask him for wisdom in faith, believing he really will deliver and give us the wisdom that we ask for and desperately need. And with that in mind, let's actually live out our application and do that now. Join me in praying and asking for wisdom. Lord God, Heavenly Father, 
Our world lacks wisdom. We, we've seen that on display in grand fashion over the last several months. But it's not just our world, it's in the church as well. We lack wisdom, and it ought not to be, Lord. And you have told us what to do when we lack wisdom. You have said, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But as it says, let him ask in faith, Lord. That's what we're doing now, in faith, knowing you will deliver, you will be faithful to your promise. We ask you for wisdom that we so desperately need. Give us that chief bit of wisdom all the more so, and that beginning bit of wisdom all the more so. We have a reverence for you, a fear of you, O oh God, but deepen it all the more so. We need that. And then build on that wisdom in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. Give us further and further wisdom, true wisdom, Lord. Impart it to us, we pray. Not for our glory, not so we can puff ourselves up in pride as such wise people, but ultimately for you, for your glory. Give us wisdom that we might live wisely for you, that we might live every day, every moment in service to you, faithfully honoring you, glorifying you, Lord. And knowing that we're in troubling times, and even more troubling times are coming, and the church needs wisdom to navigate those waters and navigate them well. And so give your people, give your church wisdom for you, Lord, for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.